Because we're anticipating. We're anticipating. That's right. We're anticipating. In fact, that's also why uh, we do an evening study. Um, according to tradition, the, uh, the idea behind the, the actually in Judaism, they'll study all night long. And the reason for that is the anticipation of God's giving the Torah. According to tradition, Shavuot, or this holiday of festival weeks, or Pentecost, as your Christian friends might know it, um, is the day that God gave us the Torah. And so uh, that's based on... Um, Pretty straightforward math from from the Torah itself, so it's probably very likely that's the day. Seven by seven plus one. Uh, and yeah, we've been counting. So if you haven't been counting, shame on you. If you have been, good for you. We're here at the end. Um, today is day fifty, hence the name Pentecost. For those who don't speak, was it? Is it that Greek? That's Greek. Yeah. Pentecost um, And so, uh, but in honor of the tradition to stay up all night and study, we are not going to stay up all night. But uh, for those of you who want to stay, we're going to push it to midnight if you want to. If you can't go that long, we completely understand and feel free to leave whenever you feel tired. But um, but we are going to be here partying until um, tomorrow. Is that the midnight or... We're going to go with the Gregorian nice. midnight, you know, nice. 12 midnight. Um, 
I actually, one year, it was really cool, I was in Israel, I stayed up all night long with, with some people, and in Israel, it's incredible, Jerusalem, um, for those of you who might have had some more colorful past and might have ever gone bar hopping, I have not, but I've heard this a thing, um, this was synagogue hopping. We went from one synagogue to another around town throughout the night, and you're just seeing crowds of people dressed in white, that's another tradition. Um, walking around from one synagogue to the next, going in for discussions, religious songs. Sometimes they do things like have a comedian, because at four in the morning it's hard to think straight. But the group that I was with, they were, they, we decided to pop into the Orthodox Union Shul for a mystical discussion of the uh, Ten Commandments at like 3.34 in the morning. As hard as it was to stay awake, it was awesome. And then you cap the whole night off by going to the Western Wall for prayers, um, and the Chabad's handing out muffins the next morning. It's really neat. So um, that is the extremely high bar we've set for ourselves. No, not, not quite. We're not giving you muffins tomorrow. Um, but anyway, oh, that's the... Spend night, no. Uh, that's the background. Now you're um, married with children. Yes, I am. That, those, those days are somewhat over. Actually, yeah. I, yeah. Those days ended a long time ago, let's just be honest. Before the kids, we still weren't staying up all night long uh, studying and walking around the town. Um, anyway... But, so tonight, we have sent around some questions via email, so hopefully you got those. Um, I want to emphasize, as I said earlier, this is totally casual. There's no agenda aside from we, uh, my lovely wife in the back here. She's arrived. Yay! Um, she, uh, she's going to keep track of some time for us so that we um, don't spend too much time on each topic. But uh, aside from that, there's no agenda. We're not, um, we're not trying to answer questions. We really just want to have discussion. Um, if we debate a little bit, that's okay, but keep it friendly. Um, and the point here is really just to learn. We want to we see whether people have thought about these topics and these discussion points. I, we intentionally sent out questions that were a little difficult on purpose because it's not necessarily to get to a final answer today, but if you do want to think about it together. Um, so um, with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the first topic. So the very first topic was kind of an easier one, softball one, and that is... What do you do to make Shabbat special? When in, in the Torah, it said, tells us to not only keep Shabbat, protect it, but also to make it holy, to make it set apart. And so in Judaism, there's this idea that there is a, um, not only the things you don't do, like keeping it, right? But there's also positive things you do to set Shabbat apart. And that's the, those are the, the what they call in Judaism, the idea of like beautifying a mitzvah. How do you make it um, even better? How do, you, how do you make it a happier, funner experience? What do you do to uh, um, celebrate it? Kind of like we're doing tonight with this party for Shavuot. What's some things you do for Shabbat? So with that, I'm mostly here to give my thoughts for fun and to be active as a moderator. I'm not leading anything. So who has something to say about what you do for Shabbat? Alan and I put up grass skirts in the shower. No, I won't. <laughs> But dress is actually yeah. something that does sometimes play in. You do dress oh, up. Show, show. I have Israeli music that's for Sabbath. That's great. And I, I, the minute I get up, I turn that on. But I also start the, I start the night before, as soon as about an hour before, because it's telling everybody to put your tools down and everything. It's time for Shabbat. That's great. I love it. Absolutely. Um, my wife has a soundtrack she's put together of Israeli and, and Jewish music that she plays while she's prepping for Shabbat and gets it all going. And I think it's really cool, especially because we have two small children. So then 
that kind of gets associated, you know, with Shabbat, like we're getting ready for Shabbat, you know, that, that whole idea. Any other ideas, things you do? It could be things that you think everybody does. That's fine, too. Well, we were getting ready for Shabbat last night. I enjoyed Joe's music at their house. Yeah. We, we, uh, we have the Shabbat soothing yes. playlist, like and, and we do that I as like soon as Shabbat starts, or as we're getting prepped. So that's cool. Alan and I actually eat at a different table than we normally do, just to make it different and special. And uh, we always have, well, actually, we always have an awesome meal every night, but <laughs> this is a more awesome meal. So it's cool. It's, it's up a little cool. Yeah. That's one thing we do. We have special snacks and special meal. Set it up. A Rev Shabbat the night before. around all of the holidays. That's a big, popular Jewish tradition. Um, when I went to Israel, I was surprised for Sukkot. Um, I got invited to an Orthodox family's house, and they actually had a fish dish and then a meat dish. So they had like like a three-course, three-and-a-half-course meal capped by like a fruit-nut dessert type thing at the end. So um, it was, uh, they, they had both types going there. For uh, Sukkot, we erect our sukkah in the front yard so that all of our neighbors can see it. Oh, wow. So they will ask. Um, <laughs> but they do. They do. They want to know what that gazebo is we put in the front yard. I'm glad you asked. Um, each night is different. We might have the burger shack or the pizza shack. That's fine. Um, yeah, we invite the kids, all the kids over to come, and a lot of them come and eat dinner and just kind of hang out and Neat. pray and have the Israeli music. And Very cool. Yeah, light it up. We'll do Bible study. Very cool. I like that. Because another another part of it is community. It's yes. people and parties. 
we have a bunch of parties throughout the year that, you know, we we have or the Bartoses have that one or my parents have one that they always do. We try to invite 30 of our closest friends <laughs> over every other Shabbat. <laughs> That's just your family. Shabbat. Second and fourth Shabbat. That's right. <laughs> Not every other. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Not July. Yeah, Not July. That's right. <laughs> but that's, that makes, um, I think it makes it a, a lot more special to have people. Um, I know that uh, in Israel, it's traditional to get together basically every other Shabbat. I mean, you're never alone for Shabbat. There's always something um, going on. I remember when I was there and I was alone, um, there was only one Shabbat. I was there for, uh, I think, two months, almost two months, by myself. And there was only one Arab Shabbat that I was alone in my own apartment where I was by myself. Every other time, there were invitations. People were making sure that I had some place to go, that I had some place to have Shabbat with people because it's just, community is a huge part of our faith. It's almost impossible to have to sit by yourself in a vacuum. You really need the people. And Shabbat just doesn't feel like Shabbat if you're literally just by yourself. Not just you and your husband, but just with you. you. You bring up a good point. It really is so difficult, and we've seen that as a family. It's so difficult to keep the commandments in a vacuum. To do that by yourself is extraordinarily difficult. And in Israel, they they recognize that and they live up to that. Um, I had a a, pair, a set of tefillin that um, had a bubble on the top. I sent them to Israel to be repaired by a sofa, and. Uh, he wanted to, we went back and forth and fixing it and all that. He got it done and he, he wanted to know where to ship them. And I said, well, you don't, you don't have to ship it. My, my daughter's actually at, uh, at Old Pond in, in Israel right now in Jerusalem. So uh, she can just swing by and pick them up. He got upset. He got very upset with me on the phone. And this is a guy who's been, you know, Rob Yosef, blah, 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 you know, just as, as polite as could be. And he just got, he got almost nasty that I did not share with him. I don't know the guy from a hole in the wall. I wouldn't know him. I've never met him. But he got all upset that I did not share that my daughter was there alone in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he didn't, I didn't let him know so that he could invite her over to Shab Arab Shabbos dinner. Which, as soon as she went and picked up the tefillin, he's like, you have to come to my house And for I did. And it was expected. They knew they it. Know. She had to take the bus to get there. She could not take the bus to get home. And right. woman they did not know for, at all. And they just put her up. And then the shocking thing when, when uh, you and I talked afterwards was he got up and went to shul the next morning to pray and left you there sleeping. Yeah. All by myself. In house. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. It's a real beautifying the Sabbath by reaching out to the wayward yeah, stranger and, and a I true gear. Um, it's, uh, I, I see that as, as a good part of it. Um, and of course, now that I have a family that lives in my house, I don't, I'm never alone, first class. But um, not as good about inviting people in for the Arab Shabbat. Boy, by the time I get to Friday night, I am done. <laughs> and the idea of entertaining is 
For the two months, though, it's probably, I think I think most people here would give you a buy. It's still, I, yeah, and, uh, you know, maybe those days are ahead of us. Um, maybe they're behind us. Uh, I don't know. But, maybe both. Um, yeah, maybe both. Uh, but I do think that people add a lot, which is why we're so grateful that all of you are here to help us beautify Sean Woke by, you know, discussing the tour the other night. Yeah, and I mean, I think the holidays, the, the party type things are fun. Um, the soup and suka you guys do, we always try to host a, um, like a grilling day suka <coughs> event. Um, at one point, we have kosher sausages. It's amazing. We theme it around Oktoberfest just for fun. Um, and just like, but that whole idea of trying to find ways to, to add to it. And it can be things like you mentioned um, uh, your suka. You could also have things like decorations, you know, having things to go up. This past year, it was so cool with Richard, we had Hanukkah. He was, it's like, for his first Hanukkah, he was a baby, so he really didn't, didn't know what's going on. He just thought the lights were cool, and that was it. But this year, he was old enough, we actually decorated, and he, you know, he's helping us, kind of like, put up decorations. He's kind of participating, and it brought, brought back all those Christmas memories, quite frankly, you know, of, of growing up and, and having the tree and all that stuff. And it's like, right, because we have a lot of holidays in our faith. The difference is that these traditions aren't necessarily built in. Like, you have to make the effort to incorporate it, especially if you have kids. Um, so that's one thing we've been trying to do, um, is, is try to put some of those things into it. Like, you know, like decorating Hanukkah. So that way it's like, well now, um, hopefully Richard will start to associate that with the holiday and look forward to it and get excited about it and, and those kind of things. Another fun tradition that I like to do, just for me, um, I like to wear new clothes on spot if I happen to have a new outfit or a new tie or something. Um, don't always save it, but I oftentimes save it for Shabbat just because it's something to like, there's a special blessing to say, it's something to be happy about. Clothing is also associated with the holidays. Um, there's a tradition to wear nice clothes on the Sabbath or the Yom Tovs. Um, there are uh, traditions to wear white on a number of the Yom Tovs. Um, so it's kind of like an opportunity to try to make it special. In addition to the music, we really like to sing on Shabbat. So I don't believe that. We, when, when we, even from when the kids were really small, like we tried to learn as many of the Shabbat songs as we could, and then just always have them playing too. But that reinforced it to the point where the kids just sing like all Friday night, and then the next day there's songs at each point, and it's just That's that cool. has been really, really fun. So that it, we can just do that whenever we don't even need. Some, uh, some music on. We, we, we kids just kind of know a lot of songs from that. Even on off Shabbats too, we kind of try to do what we, uh, we have this really fun kids Shabbat album called Top Shabbat. And so on, on off weeks, we try to have like a Bellatora service that's geared around the kids. It's our Top Shabbat service. So the kids get their sitter and like, I, I mean, I go with my delete and everything. We pray Shacharit all the way through, just basically highlighting all the songs throughout Shakri, and so that's always something fun that we do, uh, and I was, I, I, these are some really excellent ideas. We have, uh, another thing that we do around food is there's a traditional third meal on Shabbat. I think it's pronounced Shalasudas. That's what the kids call it now, so instead of snack every day, where they usually just have like some veggie straws or something like that, the Shabbat 
snack after naps is always a much bigger deal. Usually there's some cheese involved and crackers and nice. sometimes some olives or something. So it's just like an extra special. What time is that? <laughs> yeah, it's usually like 3.30ish. Just check. Yeah. On the off Shabbats. On the off Shabbats. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> we, we've also, to, uh, we mentioned it, but like there's, each of the holidays always has some tradition around it. And so we've tried to take what the tradition was and kind of make it a little more kid-friendly, you know? So, uh, you know, example of Shavuot, the dairy's a big thing, so obviously it's perfect for kids to have ice cream. So that's all, we'll always have ice cream on Shavuot. Uh, and then for, for Sukkot, it's traditional to try to spend every meal in the sukkah. So we, we try to make it very kid-friendly in there. We bring music in there, we put a fan so that it's more enjoyable. And then, you know, the kids will have their meals in it. So it's like, whatever the tradition is, sometimes we'll try to look at that and say, all right, is there a way to make that kind of kid-friendly so that it's something to look forward to? This sounds like a fun day. It's been inspir inspirational. I mean, we, we kind of borrowed your, your Tashabon idea mostly as a training tool, if nothing else, because I think that's another thing that's helpful, is on those off Shabbats, we can do like a, a short little 15, 20-minute service, but it gives us a chance to, Richard, we're going to sit still now, you know, when Daddy's talking, we keep quiet, and, and that has helped a lot. Even with Bellatora, like he, I think, really helped give him a better idea of what's going on. And, and singing the songs has been really great with him too. He he actually looks forward to going to Bellatora, um, mostly because we sing Sing Shalom. Yeah. He's like, Sing Sing, yes, we're Sing Shalom. Uh, from an adult perspective, one of the things we Morgan and I love doing is Friday night becomes like our just talking together night and so we don't watch anything or or um, on on friday night specifically so that we can just sit on the couch and just almost create like a little date night and so that we, we usually have a ton of topics we end up staying up late just to chat and i usually will try to get a glass of port and pretend like i'm my father-in-law and uh, you know, put my feet up while we're chatting and yeah it's it's a it's a moment to reflect on the blessings of, of the week. And that, that always happens. I love that. I, that was something I learned from you too is that at the Friday night table, we always talk about like, what was something really interesting that happened this week? You know, what was, how did God bless us this week? Let's, let's just chat about the amazing blessings that we've had. So it's a good moment to reflect well. Oh, there is a special tradition that uh, Aaron Henry does come into our room in the morning when Morgan and I are sipping our coffee. And he called coffee time. And he so you're not drinking coffee yet, are you? Don't put hair in it, that's too early. He, that is like one of his favorite times of the week. He kind of tiptoes in in his PJs, and we're just sipping coffee, and he comes sits on the bed, and we chat about the day. Coffee time, I like it. <laughs> yeah, these are all great, great things, great ideas. Um, Things that people can do to, to make the holidays or the or the, or the yonos or other things special. I remember my dad had a tradition um, uh, where we would read the we read the Eshet Chayil in um, as part of the Proverbs 31 woman as part of the uh, Friday night service, and uh, and so he would throw in things that my mom had done during the week, and I thought that was really cool. So I wanted to take that and we do it in our house, and I always try to find you know one two three things that, that Julianne has done there, and we can tie it to one of the verses. Um, that we that we did, uh, so that way we can kind of like highlight, like here's something I've seen you do 
that matches the Proverbs 31 woman. Well, that idea was so cool. My father-in-law started doing it. My brother-in-law started doing it. <laughs> doing it together. Taking, and, taking the world by storm. And you know, one of the coolest things is we get, we, you know, my, uh, my uh, working Greg will host people at their house. They get a little group of men and, and families together. And it's amazing to hear like six or seven different men all have some other thing that they're talking about their wife and how amazing they are. And uh, especially in the culture we live in today where you're, you know, the work office and things, you're more likely to hear complaints than positives. It is so uplifting to hear other men talk about how wonderful their wives are and how much they respect them and, and how much you know this week they really saw them put in that extra effort or whatever it might happen to have been. So um, those are some ways to like kind of like modify the traditions just a little bit or uh, add an accompaniment to them that kind of make them special. Sukkot, or yeah, get a beautiful Hanukkah for Hanukkah. Um, we have, my wife likes to collect Hanukkahs, so whenever she happens to be popping into a store and sees one and it's not particularly expensive, um, she's like, oh, we have to have this one. So we will have, we have, we probably have 10 different Hanukkahs now, maybe. I don't know, I can't really think And so our tradition on the last night is to um, literally fire. burn our money and, and put up <laughs> candles, eight candles, nine candles in each and every one of our Hanukkahs and light them all at once. Um, and nearly set the house on fire last year, actually. We might have a place for that. Um, we had them up on the mantle and thought, that's not safe. We shouldn't do that again. But, um, but it was, it's a really fun tradition just to kind of like um, to add in a little something special for that. Uh, and it's something that I think that Richard really has enjoyed too. You know, all the lights, all bright and everything. So. That's the thing. So yes, you can do that with um, the t the items as well as the food or the or the music or the clothes. I think uh, what comes to mind, uh, you know, getting back you know, specifically to beautifying Shabbat or setting it apart. Um, Alan and I do things together that we don't have the opportunity to do during the week. And we specifically do them on Shabbat. Um, so, you know, with the, the way we've eat, been eating the past couple of years, we don't, we don't eat breakfast. You know, our first meal, and we break fast, is, is at lunch. Um, but on Shabbos, Alan makes us a, a yogurt bowl with some almond butter in there and some blueberries and some coconut strips and yogurt and, uh, nice. 
So, you know, it, I mean, if you're having yogurt bowls all the time, maybe that's not a big deal for you, but it's a big deal for me, you know. So, uh, but we, we have a Friday night alone, uh, an opportunity to just kind of catch up on the week, and it's a, a special time for us. And then Shabbat morning, whether it's a Bellatora week or not, we, we do the same thing. We, we sit together, and um, it's one of the most special times with my wife. Of the entire world, and I love it. Well, I have to say, with now all adult children, <laughs> the fact that Friday night is a special night at our house, and as long as you're single and you live in town, you are supposed to be there. And it's a very cool idea that we all have that opportunity to be together. And we've had, and when Judah was so much younger than his brothers, it was such a blessing to have family together every Friday night, every Saturday. Yeah, I was in college, but I was almost always home on a Friday night. I think I missed like two and three years. That <laughs> um, yeah, was a big deal, so that's that's good. That's something my dad tried to do even before we were all keeping Shabbat. He started trying to make Friday a, a family time. Um, so trying to, to encourage us to all be together for the evening or whatever else. And I think that was good. It kind of helped lay the groundwork to kind of get us um, in that mindset, and we had a, uh, and then now it becomes a nice built-in thing too. I mean, so my, you know, we, um, we want to get our kids and whatnot over to see my parents from time to time. Right now, with the baby being so small, it's a little bit more difficult on Friday night. But that was That's a like, poor excuse. But so great to be there on a Friday. Night. Like it's a, it's like a built-in reason, you know. It's like it's like well now now it's like well of course we'll go well, we can come over on a Friday night. That's a special time. It's not like let's find a night during the month, you know, whatever. But it's like well Friday night. That's when we'll come over on Friday of Shabbat. Um, and uh, in the in the winter time, I have. Uh, I have a very flexible work situation, so I'm able to get off a little early, so that makes things a little bit easier as far as getting ready for Shabbat to start so early. Um, that's another good opportunity for that as well. Any other comments, thoughts, ideas? Shabbat, Yom Tovs? Anyone can say something. I mean, Aaron Henry had a great comment. Why <laughs> If you haven't been to Israel for Sukkot, you need to save your money and it is the Save a little extra and start at Yom Kippur and just stay. <laughs> not Sukkot. You need to go for Yom Kippur and stay through Sukkot. And you have to be there for Yom Kippur. It is the most incredible experience. You, if, for those of you who don't know, Yom Kippur, the city really does shut down. I mean, the country shuts down. Especially um, Jerusalem. Especially in Jerusalem. And it is phenomenal to see and watch people all dressed in white walk down the middle of the streets that hours earlier were just full of traffic honking horns. And right, because traditionally you don't drive on, on that day, so there's no cars except uh, emergency vehicles. And the decorations that are up everywhere for Sukkot, and every restaurant has its own sukkah you can eat in, and it's just party time, schools are out, so everybody's holiday all over the place. <laughs> it's so much fun. It is a lot of fun, and it's a neat opportunity to kind of get um, that perspective on what makes the, the holidays so special. I mean, I think that Yom Kippur, for me, really came alive there. Uh, before then, it was kind of like this heavy, sad day. Um, but I thought that being in Israel really helped make it seem like, oh, this is really special. Like, it's a, it's a time to be holy and set apart for God, but it, it's like, this is a special meeting with God. 
Um, and, and that opportunity to do things that are kind of unusual, like literally walk down the middle of like a main street downtown. <laughs> and, breaking, um, and breaking fast with 20,000 other people at the Kotel. That was the, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah they, uh, the Chabad, they're good, they're good. Actually, not the Chabad there. That's just the Jerusalem municipality. They set it up so that as soon as the, the, set, uh, the fast ends, they've got juice and little muffin-type things for people. And that's just a really neat, um, a neat way to kind of break the fast on a community basis. Yeah. When we have enough men to do it, the last little prayer service at the end, the Nay La prayers, are really, really cool because they have a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and um, and you haven't eaten for twenty-five hours. Yeah, and you're, and, but in spite of that, you're still in, like up for it. Like I remember how I was always amazed at how we get in there, and you know the guys they're excited, they're they're energetic, we're praying. I can pay attention to at least half of it, you know. <laughs> Um, and it's really good, and then uh, and a chance to kind of like finish out the fast, and that's a tradition. It really is special to finish on that crescendo, build a shofar, which uh, on the appropriate year would would be the beginning of the Shemitah or the Yobel. Right. That's when it starts, at the end of Yom Kippur. Um, but yeah, it's just a, an ama amazing emotional thing. Oh, we have them on the inside as well, in, in, in additional colors. Yes. All right, that's when we start Shavuot at sunset. You're right. You're right, Aaron Henry. Um, for those of you who don't know if parenting works, I think that was pretty good proof of it right there. So, um, teach your kids young. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think there's the holidays. I remember one time I, met, I we went, moved to our old house, our last house, and I'm meeting our someone neighbors for the very first time, and I just talked about one of the things I loved about our faith. And I just, what I really love about our faith, I love how it makes it so easy to include your children. I, I not to critique, overly critique Christianity, but I think that with the exception of the things that don't have much to do with the faith, like the Christmas tree, I think it's very difficult to include small children. It's very theological and esoteric and hard, kind of hard to explain. And, you know, you kind of end up with some sort of weird catchphrases don't mean anything. Um, Catholicism. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you can memorize stuff there, right? Um, but, uh, but one of the things I love about the faith that we have now um, is that it gives us opportunity to do do things with our kids, whether it's decorating stuff or lighting candles or eating certain foods or playing certain music. There's all these built in, and then we kind of fleshed them out some too. Traditions that it become immediately associated. I mean, my son is not even two, but he knows that Shabbat you light candles, you eat challah bread. He knows that the challah bread reminds us of manna. You know, he knows, and he, and he can actually tell you this in, in one or two word pieces. But the point is that, um, that's right, there he is, right there, um, talking in manna. So, you know, that that is so cool that you can, that your kids can really associate with that. I think beautifying the holidays or beautifying Shabbat is part of that process. It's part of making it fun and exciting. And, you know, it should never be about what you can't do or what you have to do. It really should be about what you get to do. Um, it should be something that's exciting and something you look forward to. So, any final comments? We will break for about 10 minutes and come back together at 8 for our next question. Alrighty. Grab your legs, use the restroom, grab some water.
Consult your commentary. <laughs> Let me know if you see the fly. I think there's only one left. Yeah, at a point where we went to the beach, we actually went to Fort Fisher State Park, which is really interesting. It's on the beach.
Yeah. We talked about next year when we go back to Myrtle Beach and try to make a little We've been to the Myrtle Beach Aquarium, and that was fun. It was on a rainy day two years ago. And it was fun, but man, it was And the kids did uh, actually get the pen to just think But, um, but man, it was, yeah, especially with all the kids. They were cut off age for like one or two, so we had to pay for it. Don't interrupt the man, he's in the middle of admiring his granddaughter. So 
fall, you don't fall. No, 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 Get a job, buy a knife. Yes. So first, it seems well, to be a good thing. You don't have a Get a job, buy a knife. I think I told two of your sons that. Sorry. Yeah. Get a job, buy a knife. I mean, get a job, buy a knife. Yeah, well, you know, if they choose to buy a knife at that point, who cares?
featuring Bayern Kate's But he was busy. Two kids. So. Small kids. A little bit of talk like that. And then later on, they get kind of get people thinking about their um, uh, think, you know, get, think about what they wanted to say, kind of keep a comfortable talking. Like I said, we got a great comment from Aaron Henry, so hopefully everyone heard that one. Um, coffee time. I want to join coffee time. That feels like well, maybe not join it with you. We'll have our own. Um, uh, so, um, the remainder of our questions were intentionally difficult. That was the idea. We wanted to get some things to get people discussing. Like I said at the beginning, the goal here is not necessarily for an answer. Um, there may not necessarily be an easily ascertainable right answer, and I think that's okay. I think that the goal is also not necessarily conflict, argument, debate, but we, we do want the expression of different opinions. Right. If somebody has very... Um, you know, express their opinion in a very direct and confident way, that should not steamroll you into not expressing yours. Not <laughs> at we all. We want to hear yours. We do. Yours is just as valid, potentially. Right, Maybe absolutely. <laughs> Why do I feel like that was directed towards me? She was looking at you. She was looking at you. It's because everyone knows that you're very shy. If someone says yeah. something confrontational, you're going to back down. We, want, we don't want you to do that tonight. Not tonight. Um, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and get started here. The next question on our list, um, from their email that we sent earlier, is uh, how do you respond to magic in fiction? Um, this could be in books or movies, music. It could be in, like, expressions you see in things like Disneyland. There's a lot of different places that magic shows up in our culture. Um, sometimes it's explicit, you know, like Harry Potter. It's very obviously magic, and there's spells and whatever else. Sometimes it's implied. Sometimes, you know, like uh, superheroes, for example. Well, how do they do that? Do we even want to know to be there? Um, those are some examples. So I'd like to hear more about how people respond to magic and fiction, um, especially if you have some biblical or, or um, traditional Jewish perspectives on that. Um, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to kick it off. Go for it. Who wants to say something? Jump in. Oh, I'll say something. Go for it. <laughs> We talked about this at home and came up with what about magic in nonfiction, like the Bible itself has point. magic, Excellent. and sometimes uh, things happen that look magical, but are they really miracles? Right. So what's the difference? Right. Absolutely. So those are extra questions. No, that's, those are great. Did you have six examples that you did? of magic in the Bible? Yep. Well, there's the magicians in Egypt. That right. Are magic. Right. And there's uh, the medium, of course, that's all the two. Right, right. And there's all the instructions not to participate in witchcraft yeah, and magic. Yeah. So obviously, it was being practiced by yeah. the Canaanites. Um, and then, but then for the kids, it was some of the things that Yeshua does look like magic. Right. Yeah, when yeah, you have spitting in blood, rubbing it on someone's eyes, yeah. It, like, it's so for at their level, at a children's level. Water turns to wine. What? Yeah. I've been trying to so do it for years. They, you might see that in a children's movie. Something, you know, a magician does at the Gabra. And then it's, Water turns yeah. Which, oddly enough, is actually a Jewish phrase. Yeah. 
Oh, and just to that point too, modern day magicians actually attempt things like the walk on water. Like right. that's like traditionally a, a famous magician act is oh watch I walk on water you know and they've got all kinds of ways they accomplish that but you know, there that's was, one there of those and levitating right you yeah. sure it did both there we go <laughs> right that's great those are good those are very good um, just to make it a little extra hard I appreciate that that's great yeah so I would I would pose the question why is magic um, or miraculous things why is why is it appealing to that's a good question. I think a lot of it has to do, um, especially in our modern culture, I have a theory on this, I'll throw out there. Um, I had a really interesting class in college that talked about movies and tying it into cultural expression and how like in like the 50s and 60s when people were dealing with the, cre the creation of nuclear power and the threat of invasions from countries that movies, there, there was not, it was very common to see movies where like, you know, Godzilla, you know, the lizard got turned into a giant monster by a nuclear bomb and, you know, all those types of things because people were trying to express their fears or their dreams or whatever in ways that they could and that was through fantasy. And I, I personally believe that the reason why we've seen such a huge increase in magic and superheroes and, and the supernatural in movies and TV over the last 20 years, I think it's a lot because our culture is missing that. I think our culture really, really rejected anything supernatural for a period of, uh, you know, in the 1960s and leading up to the end of the 2000s. But I think that, that people realize it's a void in their life and they need something to fill that. Um, and it's something that you mentioned, Morgan, the use of the magic in the Bible, because this is actually a debate between the Rambam, with an M, and the Ramban, with an N. And Rambam's position is magic's not real, it's a complete waste of time, of course we who know better shouldn't practice that because it's, it's for the feeble-minded. That's what they need, quote-unquote, to help them deal with the world. Whereas Ramban's approach is says, no, 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 magic is very real, it has definite power, and that's exactly why we can't do certain types of it because that would be too close to idolatry or would be idolatry or so forth. So there's this kind of debate within Judaism. Um, the end result is the same. Of course, magic is bad. But I think the question that we're trying to get at is, I don't think anyone in this room is questioning whether or not you should be doing magic spells at home. I think we're more or less on the same page on that. Well, there um, is no at least, question on that. Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. very clear. Right. But it's but, not no called question. magic. It's called witchcraft. Uh, well, it also uses the word enchantments. Same deal. That's what sorcery. Witches, that's what witches do. That's what witches and sorcerers do. Well, that's what magic is. Yeah. I was reading in Acts 15, I think it is, where the uh, fortune teller was following them around, and she was actually proclaiming the truth. She's saying, these are the men of El Elyon, and they are telling you the way to life and truth. And after a few days of that, they'd had enough, and they turned around and commanded the spirit to leave her, which tells us part of what's involved in that is spirit. Right. And, and it is evil, and even though what she was doing, knowing the truth, it wasn't part of what their ministry should be, and right. so they, they put an end to it. She would be She would be And her owners got a little ticked off yeah. by that. Yeah. And that led to the escape from the jail. Yeah. <laughs> Which included no magic. <laughs> but miracles. 
maybe not magic, but it, at least magical things or the, the appearance of magic and things like lying with the wardrobe. Obviously, at the contrast is all the satanic stuff that uh, movies or oh, right. Ouija boards and those kinds of things. Right, no, I think that's a good point. And I, for me, I think the Bioflexible is a good place to start because I personally, when it comes to fiction, I don't have a problem with magic when it's being wielded by the bad guy in the character in the in the film or the if book. If it's portrayed or as bad. If it's portrayed as bad, you know, there's plenty of examples that in the Bible where there are characters who are on the wrong side that are wielding spiritual force uh, powers that and that's a, not a good thing. And it's and I so like there are movies sometimes where like the villain is a witch or something like that. The hero's not. And they're not fighting them necessarily with those spiritual forces. And I'm much more comfortable with that, where it's like, okay, well, it's obviously bad. Well, what about something like my favorite Lord of the Rings? Yeah, it's a hot When Gandalf Challenge. uses his powers for good, right? Yeah, yeah I was awesome. just about to bring that right? up. It's <laughs> so, such a tricky one. Yeah. And that's. Or um, uh, Wizard of Oz. Right. Is that really what you want to be in a sham at the end? Well, that's the wizard. But there's witches. The good witch. The good witch. The good witch is a very brief cameo, basically, but yes. Which is really pretty. That's true. But is there a difference between the adult appreciation of a cultural thing, such as Wizard of Oz, not that I was promoting it, but and having it as part of your family environment where it's encouraged in raising children? Right. Well, that's why I use the example of like other types of movies or book content as well, because it kind of fits the same bucket. You know, what do you let your kids watch or read at what age? I think that plays a factor. Yeah, we, we did wait until y'all were 12, 13 to even get into Narnia books. Right. Especially Lord of the Rings. We waited until you were at that more discerning age before we began to, to read those and do all that. I wasn't even allowed to watch Star Wars until I was ten. So. Actually, but all of, but actually, both books and movies were were because they be, became part of cultural expression. As we learned from Paul, that that understanding a culture, even the bad thing of a culture, is not necessarily uh, something we should avoid. But it was it, sh it should be something that possibly we need maybe not an education in, but at least understanding. An example would be from. Wizard of Oz. I'm melting. I'm melting. <laughs> so everybody that's ever seen the, the movie understands. You have a spoiler alert. Yeah. Everybody's seen the movie understands that as a culture. I mean, it's a cultural thing. People can say they kind of understand what that's all about, right? So and you know, it's like the the easiest way to get rid of the bad person is to pour water. On <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, so as a cultural education. And the other example would be Lord of the Rings, and, and it doesn't apply anymore because the movies have ruined it. But Lord of the Rings is a perfect example, whereas literature, yeah, you know, I mean, your high school kids maybe need to read it. Did you have a comment? Yeah, I should. I can tell. Leave your face. Just say, you have a comment. So, I have a problem when we equate magic with miracles. Absolutely. They are Agreed. absolutely different, and we should not equate Totally true. With regard to Rick's comment, he's, he's spot on. When, when Paul talks to the folks on Mars Hill, he is quoting their literary Apology. folks. He's using their 
literature. He's, he's using their, their folks to teach. He's even using their presumed gods in order to, to argue for that. So um, I, I, don't, I don't think we need to isolate ourselves from the world or we will have no testimony. I think our, our goal should be to insulate our children and ourselves from evil. Right? So uh, Teller and whatever the guy's name is. What's his name? Penn and Teller. You know, I'll, I'll watch them. That's cool. I'll watch them until I can't stay up. I'm oh, sorry. Penn and Teller are famous sleight of hand folks. Ah, right? So what are they? Well, they're magicians, quote unquote, right? Are they doing magic? No, they're doing sleight of hand. In fact, they say, this is not magic. This is not magic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's fascinating. And like, and like Rick said earlier, we desire, we, we like to see that kind of stuff because we want to figure it out and all that. I don't have a problem with that. I think the, I think the scripture is teaching us that like those Egyptian magicians that Morgan was speaking of, we have a problem here. They're, they're using whatever power they have. The gnats are what they couldn't do, right? Right. Seems kind of odd. They couldn't do gnats. Gnats are bigger than gnats. Too small. They can only make more. Right. They can go away. They can, away. They can just give me a... That's, oh, that's what I want. More gnats. That's what I want. More frogs. More frogs. More frogs. More frogs. Yeah. Oh, that so, was our last water. You turned it into blood. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it proved our point. Yeah, so, 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 good for you. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, I, I think that uh, I, I read Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, some absolutely wildly don't let your kids read about going to Mars and weird books that he's written. They're, they're simply not good to read. But, um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, very, very cool. Um, so reading fiction as you walk into it you know this is fiction and the author may use literary devices in order to make a point right. I don't personally I don't see a problem with that so if we're reading Lord of the Rings or we're watching it or Star Wars which my kids actually had to listen to before they were able to actually see it we had, the, we had the audio books, and uh, they had no idea what he looked like. Oh, they had the actual James Earl Jones reading those parts. It was great. So I, I think I think we, we come alive in books and in fiction and in stories that inspire us or make us sad or motivate us to move and so forth. Um, if there's magic in them, then... As a parent, I would read it first and say, the magic is unnecessary. The magic is distracting from this story. And I don't think I need that. And this is not in, therefore, good literature in my perspective. So we'll skip that one. A great, a great example, Mary Poppins. What are my children supposed to learn from Mary Poppins? I completely disagree. That's right. That's fine. The most popular song in that, by the way, is an incantation. Just want to throw that out there. What is it? Very popular. Oh, an incantation. Ex-Fidelidocious. Okay. So, 
Just a spoof, spoof, spoof. Yeah, yeah. You're proving the wrong thing. You have to test these things as a parent. That's how it. So, so my point is. I'm standing wrong with Mary Poppins, okay? It's a great. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. My point is, what is, what is the truth? What, what is, what, what are we learning from this? What's yeah. the point of this? What, what's, what's the growth opportunity for me, for my children in this? I don't have any problem with 20,000 leagues under the sea. What, what you, hey, you can be an inventor. You can come up with cool stuff. That's more Whatever. All I'm saying is it's okay to read stuff just to be entertained. There doesn't necessarily have to be a growth option out of it. But... I draw the line when there's when I see no redeeming value. So you guys come from a wait, wait, wait. A, you guys are you talking about the two yeah, old well, guys? The two of you guys just shared culturally that there are some things that you think are okay to be exposed to. But if you put if you put yourself in my shoes, for example, the major cultural fad right now that we would be exposing our children to someday would be Game of Thrones. That's like literally swept the world right now. So, well, but but how is that any different? Because see, you, it just it so happens that your when you were little, the the cultural thing was something that was already wholesome. Actually, but now it's not. But here's what here's what you have to do. You have to you have to you have to first of all narrow down to. What was the purpose of these things? The things that are questionable. What's the purpose? Is it part of the story? Can it be ignored as a part of the story? Game of Thrones, I would say, that's just simply pornography with an excuse for uh, a story. The story is being... <laughs> okay. I just I wanted to make sure everybody on, on their version. The I mean, it's like people that would... Back in, when I was a young man, people say, I read Playboy for the, for the articles. For the articles. <laughs> right. No, right. So... Could it have been done without, without, like, not that I've ever watched it, but from what I've heard, without all of that, yes, it could have been done. So why did they do it? Because it's HBO. Well, so, Game of Thrones is, I think, way beyond the age of your children. So I don't think this is... <laughs> so, but Mrs. Spurlock brought up, like, or age 13, but exposing them. You know, that's what I'm saying. I would like, say that's closer to your issue would be things like X-Men or, or uh, Star Avengers. Wars. Just because you like X-Men. No, no, no. I was, was going to address that. So when we came up with that whole issue, if we had little children, we'd have said, probably no. As they got older, we would say no to all of it that had a purpose other than entertainment. Words, if it was promoting the magic, I mean, I'll give you the example. It's Doctor Strange. We never watched the movie, never no desire to watch the movie because it seemed too what close. Is what is it? Doctor Strange. It's about part a vision. It's part of the Avengers. What part of the comic book series? Not to say anybody else could do it. We said we don't want to have any part of that because it looked too close. Is that that kind of what you're talking about? That does that that Very helps because it doesn't. Things, so yeah. that means it doesn't Little sound kids, man, as nothing. much like it is. We are looking for our children to have cultural experiences. It's sounding like you are you are definitely assessing it based on is there any other redeeming value? Exactly. And cult, also is it culture. an interesting cultural experience? So yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from now. So just a quick comment to re, just as a follow-up. I'm sorry, just a rebuttal. Rebuttal. Um, I just, <laughs> Clarification. 
I have a lot of young men working for me. And it recently became apparent that a lot of these young men play video games from the moment they leave me until who knows how long in the night. Some of them, I, I'm just imagining, just keep going all the way through the night and then start working for me again in the morning. And it turns out um, that their desire, what's being put into them by playing these games, is that they want to work with me now. They, they're being bred and desire to look cool, sound cool, and carry a gun. And it turns out they are trying to live my life in a game. <laughs> and I'm living it in real life. I don't want, I don't want my grandchildren, I don't want you to be sucked into that to live some alternate life and have to strap on your pistol when you've got your headset and joystick thing going. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yes, Does that make sense? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> difference there is is focus because I think that kind of like 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 I I would not you know it's kind of like content we're talking about Game of Thrones earlier so yeah you, you got extreme levels of disturbing content in that so you draw a line there I'm not going to watch that even as an adult I have no interest in that whatsoever because that's disgusting and that's extreme now maybe you have Bid Angel and it carves all that stuff out for you and you have a 10 minute program and that's <laughs> cool. but the point is that it's a game isn't it? it's not a movie yeah. right it's a, no, it's a, it's a show. show oh it's a show the yeah. point is though that yeah, like um, if you, the point to say is that like it's such an extreme amount of content that it's not even worth it and I guess the same thing when it comes to magic like Harry Potter in my mind it's like the show is about magic the hero is magic they're going to reference and actually use spells throughout the show Serious problem with that. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to be a part of that. I, I, I wouldn't watch it myself. I certainly wouldn't let the kids watch it in my house. Um, 
when I come to something like this kind of threading the needle a little bit, like, you know, the Thor character in the Marvel Universe, technically in the movies, they leave him a little ambiguous as to what he is. They say he's an alien, they, that's, the, that's the circumstances of it all. He references that, like, it looks like magic, but to us it's kind of like science, but they're kind of the same thing in our world or whatever, and it's like, yeah, but they're not using spells. There's no other references. stuff. Every time they reference any kind of de deity element, um, the, uh, the other, there are oftentimes other characters that are denying that. Well, that's not even true. Whatever. So the, the beast mostly are saying it's not what that is. It's like it's an alien, it's whatever. Aliens different universe. Are not what? Aliens are not. Not magic. So to me, that's just my personal opinion. That I'm, I'm comfortable with that, that like, it's in there. There's stuff in there that is definitely problematic. I would want to probably have a conversation with my teenage child, <laughs> you know, post-watching that, but I think that that's a line that I'm okay with, because it's like, whatever's in there that's problematic, a small piece of the story. It's yeah, not a comment over there. That's the, in the, in the superhero movies, it's the Thor character. Um, anyway, the point is to say, that's just my opinion, and that's just my approach to it. I have a line I draw. I struggle with Lord of the Rings, mostly because of the fact that it's a hero character who's actively using magic, who's using spells in the movie. The books are actually worse, by the way, when it comes to spells. There's a lot more of that in the books than there is in the movies. Well, the rings themselves are a problem. Right, so there's a lot of components there that make it much more difficult for me. Um, I haven't watched the movies in a long time because of that. I don't know that I could say definitively they're right or wrong. We will cross that journey with our children probably 15 years from now. now. So <laughs> we have time to think about it. Maybe after tonight I'll know what to do. But um, So I've got a whole bunch of men here who apparently either really agree or really disagree with me. So we'll start with Greg and move our way down. Oh, okay, all right. I'm, first of all, I'm thinking Thor's conversation probably needs to come to the next one. The bridal one. But uh, anyway, so my question, I had kind of a question about what was just being discussed. You, it seemed like you guys, well, no, even Juliana and you, Joshua, it seems like the, the perspective you have can only be had after you've seen something. So what's sort of your approach beforehand? Well, you guys were referencing videos that you've already seen and have already determined that there was a good message, that there, the content was okay because the, the actual hero versus the villain. Or, I haven't. I haven't. Well, you, we, we've, we've mentioned Wizard of Oz, we've mentioned Mary Poppins, we've mentioned Lord of the Rings. Room. Okay, screening. Okay. You can so, also do that online. There are articles written about things that you can read. Focus on the Family does a really good job. Yeah, but I so, but I've always found because I've I've also looked at lots of those and I've always found that magic isn't one of the things that they it's usually not. talk about. Well, in the focus on the family one is. They have a whole section on spirituality. Yeah, that addresses that. That's true. Yeah, but still, is really good. I mean, just from talking to people, you can get a, a handle on it, right? So Game of Thrones. There's no way I'm gonna look at that stuff. There's no way. I mean. One right. of the main characters is actually a porn star, so yeah, that, that tells Thanks me. Thanks for that. I needed to know that. But even if you didn't know anything about it, and you foolishly, like Greg and I, started episode one thinking this is going to be cool. Three and minutes in. Yeah, <laughs> just a few minutes in, you're going, whoa, oh, okay, my no. Where did this stop? No, this is not for us. This <laughs> is obvious right away. Yeah, do you look do that around after that, that to see the neighbors saw that you were watching? I do that. You know, it's like, Gotten worse, there are always going to be a cultural divide. And I try to 
tried to give some idea to my kids before they went away to college. Okay, these are going to be things, or this is what. But there are things now that are so far beyond what we could even tell them about. We don't want to that you know, there, there is going to be a cultural divide. And I think any, any example of that probably like music. You know, my parents, my dad introduced me to some classic rock or whatever else as an older child, young adult. But I mean, there is a whole bunch of music that I never heard and probably still haven't heard that my peers are very familiar with. And it's like, la la la, I don't need to listen to that. <laughs> it's you know, part so. of being set apart, as we're right. called to be, that we don't do all. Well, I've, I've tried to make sure that you could discern right from wrong rather than experiences. Yes, and that's right, and that's why I don't have a problem saying every now and then if we do try something that we can discern seeing it. Yeah. No, no, no this, yeah. Is not, this is not making good. the pulse is good or bad. This is bad. Right, absolutely. I've got uh, Mr. Garner and, and uh, all the way down the line, I think. Everybody down the line? <laughs> uh, Morgan was saying that the superhero stuff, I think you were saying the superhero stuff, Kind of different. As no, that was Juliana. Oh, that was Juliana. No. Okay. <laughs> different daughter. But I think that it's creating a fascination with a new magic that's coming with transhumanism, where people are actually going to be able to choose upgrades. They're going to be able to upgrade abilities and, and things. So I think. Uh, there are other moral questions to be raised. Uh, sure. And that yeah, actually. What we're talking about with magic and superheroes and things is temptations. Right. Basically, as what it boils down to, temptations of things that are outside God's commandments. Or simply dissatisfaction with God's design. Yeah, and I think that if exactly. you think about I mean, that's that was what Morgan and I talked about when we installed movies. Yeah, well, that was my whole point uh, on Tommy earlier about just content in general. I mean, like, I, you know, I even, even you know, the original Iron Man movie, which is literally about a man in a robotic suit, has nothing to do with enhancements to his body or spirituality. Nonetheless, there's other content in that movie, violence, language, sexuality, that I'm not introducing my kids to, and maybe not ever, but certainly not until they're old enough for us to be able to have a coherent conversation about that, and, I, we can, and they can know it's wrong without me even having to talk to them, but we can at least talk about it afterwards as well. So, I mean, I know that the, the Martins have, you guys have probably worked through some of that as well. I mean, you grew up watching Star Trek, but that's a whole different adventure when you have little kids. I mean, with video, most most movies are half the like. They're well, taking yeah. the same stories and they're making R-rated versions of the same oh, characters. Yeah. Um, yeah, that happens too. They ruined Star Trek recently. <laughs> really? A whole bunch of stuff. The new TV show. So there's like there's there's a lot of stuff that we're you, you face with, and yeah, things like Fit Angel. My dad, I mean, they like Star Wars. You know, I was until I was probably 11, 12 before I was allowed to watch Star Wars, and even then. We didn't watch like the entire movies. My dad, we, I, you know, I still haven't seen the entire se sequence of scenes. I think involving the, you know, the infamous gold bikini. Your dad actually got on the map by by cleaning up the Frisco kids. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go take a bath, and then I'm gonna take a bath, and then I'm gonna take a bath. It's a movie involving Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder. I know you did it. The only problem with the movie was there's some language in it. So my dad edited the movie so they took all the language out. But he actually did that with a kid growing up. Back in the day, VHS was very easy to modify. It was a little tape on there. I watched Jurassic Park without the violence. I watched. Seriously! Why? Yeah. And so we could, a 
you know, along the way, kind of introduced to like, to get some of that. So it was almost like a, a more gradual type stuff as opposed to throwing me in the deep end. Here's, you know, 2018 TV, you decide what's right or wrong. Um, and I think that was helpful to kind of process that along the way. Um, and like I said, we had conversations, we talked about some things, um, my dad made comments during, and then the, the obvious, you know, we're fast forwarding things, we're blacking things out or muting it or whatever. And it's like, as a kid, you grew up and you go, okay, well that was not okay. And um, and I, I I think I'm 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 actually maturing a little bit in this because I think say when I first got married, as a part of me, it's like my kids are never watching TV, we're never watching movies, we're gonna be like a lockbox, you know, we're gonna we're gonna read about Wizard of Oz on the internet and that's it. Um, but then like I think that the struggle as I I thought more about it, it's like wait a minute, I, I watch TV and movies. How if I don't think it's like wrong for me to do that? How could I say that my 16-year-old son can't either within those limits, or at least some limits? Um, and so it's like, so that's gotten me thinking more like, okay, I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need to adjust a little bit and find where is it safe and where is it not. But I've got, um, I'll come, here, come back. Uh, did you have a comment? I want to make sure I don't get away from you. No, not really. I guess I'm, Joshua and I were talking today, and I'm maybe you guys could just help us here. I really can't. We had never finished the books, but um, the Chronicles of Narnia. I I do not get how Christians or believers in Yeshua just accept it and are so in love with it. And like while we read it, we're like trying to get how this is supposed to be an okay thing to read. And uh, you know, you hear there are things. It's so about, steeped in pagan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Reading it, like not everything. But I mean, to know what it is in order to say, okay, this yeah, is not what we I would strongly recommend that you take a look at some of the uh, the, the the helps that are out there on the internet to look at it. You're talking about the greatest apologist on the planet, and it's a spectacular um, allegory that teaches about Yeshua and goes all the way through it, and it's spectacular. And I would relish the opportunity to sit down and, and go with you through that. Now, here's a man who deliberately wrote something that pagans would read, and that's where you need to start. He wasn't writing an allegory to teach Christians about Christianity or about the redemption in Christ. He was writing for pagans to want to get embraced in here and see this underlying thread of redemption and sacrifice and the deep magic that causes the stone table to break because one who never sinned gave his life. I mean, there's no question. There's, there's stuff in there that you've got to either get past or recognize he's using as a literary device. So, so, so Gamaliel, Gamaliel was a great teacher in the first century, and Gamaliel Paul said the same is thing. Paul's teacher, by the way. Gamaliel split his split his academy into two groups, and uh, in training his disciples. And one group uh, he trained only in the Torah and the traditions of the fathers. The other group was trained first in the Torah and the traditions of the father, and then were sent essentially to learn. Paganism. The Greek and Roman mythology. Which is all paganism. So Paul, this is why the theory that Paul says he was a, he was a disciple of Gamaliel. The theory is that he was in the second group comes from that. 
that he was actually trained, not just, a, just because of the culture, but actually specifically trained in order to understand the Greeks and the Romans and their culture as bad as it was. But the most important part of that picture was Gamaliel didn't start with children and he didn't train children. Gamaliel trained adult men first in the Torah and then he sent them to these places. So when we would consider an example that we would have in our family, we sent our children away to college where their sole purpose, instead of uni bring unity as a university, was in fact to bring diversity and to destroy the teaching that their parents brought to them. But we did it with the understanding that we had trained them already. And in order to fill that square for the... For the uh, uh, job, job that they wanted to do, they had to go and do this, but they were had to be prepared first. So I would say that if you're doing it in order to prepare children, then you need to have first taught them the truth. Mm -hmm. And they need to understand that this is a cultural thing or whatever else in order to, as opposed to, and this is where I would say pure entertainment. You know, maybe we need to be careful if it's just pure entertainment and it's questionable. Well, I mean, we don't I mean, have to do that. I don't think there's yeah. any such thing as pure entertainment. I think everything has a Possibly. Oh yeah, well, that's probably true. But I think that also the um, the comment you made about um, the paganism. I mean, Judaism, even to the extent where traditional Judaism, even Kabbalah, which is mystical Judaism, you don't start with that. You start studying in the Torah. The tradition, I think, it'd be thirty-five, according to some traditions, before it lets you go into Kabbalah. Or you'll go blind. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, there's there's some teachings like we were not even allowed to study the teachings behind Genesis one because it's too mystical and we could end up straying into idolatry. So the point being that like this idea of having a foundation before you introduce things that might um, counter that foundation or oppose that foundation is very important um, if you're ever going to expose them to that. And even if you're not, it's important, but especially then, you need to make sure your, your children are, are capable of handling it um, appropriately first. My dad likes the example that when you, when you teach people counterfeit bills, you don't use the counterfeit because there's a thousand different counterfeits. You use the original. Once they memorize the original, then they can spot all the counterfeits. That's how we train treasury agents. Right. Yeah. By the way, our kids didn't read C.S. Lewis, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe stuff until they were teenagers. Probably 15. Or and actually, through technology, we didn't read it. My mom read it to us. I was going to say, they didn't read it. I read it to them and I skipped sections. There were just certain phrases or certain ways they would say things that I would alter or change or skip. She also doesn't like the name Reapachief. Yeah. Well, there's that. Too hard to say. They were probably 8 and 13 when I first started reading it. Yeah, maybe 9 and 14. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I waited until they were a bit older, but it was part of our reading out loud that I did. But I did skip things that I thought were more than I wanted to go into at the moment. But it did it did give us good discussion times of why was this not the way we should say it, or why was this not? Well, how does this? How is Aslan supposed to be like Messiah? You know those kind of. And things. there was some stuff that wasn't even talking about magic. That's not the only content issue. I mean, we got to the very last book, and C.S. Lewis himself admits he kind of flubbed there because he's got like the Muslim character going to heaven because well he thought he was serving the right God right. you know that's not like um, that's a problem in itself 
So we had a conversation about that. You know, it's like it's like if you think about that, and that's one reason why like my this is just my view is that I I put magic in kind of the same category as all the other content points. Maybe it's a little bit more serious, especially for children, because there's a lot of idolatry is a very big deal. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of in that same bucket of like, what do I want to expose my kids to in general? Well, if I'm allowed with, okay with anything, then it's kind of in the same thought. But that's just my thoughts. But I, I know you've got you comments here. Go ahead and jump in. Well, so that was a great segue because when I was I was going to say this year going through the Torah portion, it was there was a couple portions in Leviticus that I, I was it it really stood out to me how. Hashem responds to magic. It, it, he, he calls like every word you could think of. Sorcerer, wizard, there's like all of them and they're like, you put them to death immediately. So kill, like, kill, kill there, is, there is just zero tolerance in scripture for that content. And because sure. that was what I was going to bring up was like, for our household, I, I'm wanting us to be as in line with scripture as possible. So like there's a cultural stigma around something like profanity. I don't know how many verses you can find in the scripture that deliberately says, put someone to death if they use a certain word. But yet, magic has such a weight of, like, not okay in scripture that, like, it, it, it's very serious. And that was, actually, it was cool that you guys brought this question up because we were thinking really seriously about some of the things that we used to really like. And we stopped watching Lord of the Rings a while ago just because of that. It was, the, like, a good character was actually a wizard, you know? And there was just a lot of things there. So... I think that's something to keep in mind. Another thing to keep in mind was I really appreciated the other perspective, and I think where you guys were coming from was it was a, around intention. It, there, it, it's very tricky when your only intention is to sit in front of the TV and get entertained by something, whereas deliberately going and studying another religion in order to understand it well enough to defend your own faith. I, even Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is a huge fan of that. He sends a lot of his students out into Buddhist places and, and whatnot to literally just learn another person's faith, and that helps them strengthen their own faith. So he's a big proponent of having your children be exposed with the intention of strengthening their faith, though. Obviously at an appropriate age where they're not going to be as confused, but uh, I think that was, that was another thing Which that I, I really appreciate. Which for the Christian far past college, evidently. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Most of them, you know. Thankfully, in this room, I think that the threshold's a little higher. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that because I think that that makes a lot of sense. We've talked about that a lot, like well, as to you don't overly shelter your children because there's benefit to them experiencing the the other another person's faith, for example, or in, other in beliefs the context of within your own. exactly within the context of your own. Like this is what you believe. Find out what someone else believes and see where's their differences, but also where's their similarities, uh, and then. The last thing I was going to say about movies is it's a little it's it's so tricky for me when we talk about like well yeah we, we watch this movie but then we have to skip this part because it feels a little bit like ordering you know like a bacon cheeseburger but taking off the bacon <laughs> you're like well why did you why did you order that to begin with why didn't you just watch another movie that maybe had a similar message that didn't have that content I don't know I, so that was just my last I don't, I don't see, thought. I don't, I don't see it that way. You don't see it that way? Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking for the perfect movie, nor am I looking to read the perfect book. Well, it's if like I'm you reading, want to experience reading, a movie without reading, the full experience. If I'm reading a book and I come across a chapter that I don't need to read, I'm going to skip that chapter. If I can get some good out of the book, some growth, some learning, whatever, some entertainment, and skip the bad parts, I don't have a problem with that. If I'm watching a, an old James Bond movie, 
There's some spots in there that are just absolutely, completely inappropriate. This is true. Right? Not just for my kids, for me. <laughs> so, you know, I don't have any problem skipping past that stuff. Including the intros. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna toss a whole movie. But I to your point, I may second guess whether I wanna waste my time if most of it had to be skipped. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting point. that you know, you went through the scripture and how often the sorcerers and, and all these guys are, are listed out in and you kind of summarize that with the word magic, but the scripture never did that. It, it's the people specifically who yes. use the magic. That, well, I did, they, did, did I say that they use? I didn't think I said it's that. not that they use magic, is it? What do you mean? Well, I don't know. I don't think I don't think well, magic has anything to do with it actually. Because they, to, to even step towards magic, you have to completely turn your back on God first. Depends on what we're calling magic. If, if magic yeah. is sleight of hand, then no. Oh, but, right. oh, I see. but my point is that. A sorcerer about. is one using sorcery. Right? I see what so, you're trying to get at. Right? So the definition of magic yeah, is Magic is, is so broad and in our culture it is craft could be so just sleight of hand or hey. Oh, oh sure. Okay. Nah, 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 I actually yeah, I, I talked I talk to the children actually about that. Just yeah. like that you someday you may experience someone who asks you to pick a card. Yeah. This is not against the Torah. That's right. <laughs> you know? Exactly, right? Simon the Sorcerer I also got ended um, up blind. So right. let me let me go back to my grandmother and then I've got Josh here. Yes. I think I'm really with you 100%. We, we just did not let anything like that in our house. The Bible says, set, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. Mm. And to me, watching a television program where people are having sex with the wrong people, with people that aren't their wife, that's evil. Mm. And, and unless it's going to be Oh, they're wrong. No, hmm. uh, unless you're going that way. I would say absolutely not. And I didn't want books in the house that had magic in them or anything else because it's it's equated with witchcraft. Shusher doesn't watch movies. I'm not lying. Yes, Shusher yeah. doesn't go to movie theater. Well, I don't go that, to theater, but I do watch movies with you guys. I mean, well, and Shosho's point was actually why I struggle a little bit with like the well, only if it's like a good character that's using the magic. Like it's Mary like, Poppins. Well, in the movie, they're married, so it's okay to watch them have sex. Like that's just not, you know what I mean? Like it, it really isn't okay. It isn't. Okay. Joshua. Yeah, so, on the subject of sleight of hand magic, like there was a season where I was like, yes, I'm going to embrace this. Love this. Love the art of deception. But have this check <laughs> in my ear. That's what we love about you. That's well said. Well said. I struggle well, with lying and Good values. 
Um, I think that you can approach sleight of hand magic in the sense of all this is not real. Like all this is is just illusion. That's like pen, pen and teller. Right? So you introduce it as this that's is it. all completely fake, and you still won't figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And so I. But I, I agree with you. I mean, if you're going to use ministry. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, you're starting on the wrong platform to move to a... But aren't we all in ministry, right? Like, okay, so where I'm trying to go with this is I still, like, I, I choose to, to show my girls things um, so that they can spot the faith, right? Like, I tell them jokes and, like, have them, you know, do little things like, you know, the little updog trick. They're never going to get fooled by that, ever. It smells like updog. I don't know what that is. What's up, Tom? Nothing much. What's up with you? Um. Mm. Uh, <laughs> 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 you don't have to. Oh, no. It's like an action What? That was brilliant. It's a knock-knock joke. It's like a knock-knock joke. Oh, but there's some literature online that explains it all. <laughs> we'd be glad to walk through that. Yeah, we'd be glad to walk through that. Yeah. Joshua Set up a session. I, right now, we're reading Lord of the Rings with the girls. Read part of it last night. Um, I love it. It's so good. Our girls know that this is fiction. It's not real. We do not do witchcraft. We do not do sorcery. We don't do magic. It's not real. But what is real are there are spiritual forces in this world that are good and evil. Amen. And it's good to be able to spot those. We can't say that there is good magic, but we know that there are good spiritual forces, right? And so this gives us a platform to have this conversation from a really young age so that they have this this to stand on for the rest of their life. There's stuff that I'm not going to be introducing them to at this level. Um, part of that was reading through Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of like, this. how can I be saying this is teaching about Yeshua, but it's doing this in like, with all these pagan characters. Like, I had a hard time parsing it. Like, how can I even say these people's names? Like, doesn't the Bible say not to mention their names? Like, yeah. how can we... How can I be steeping them in all of this, like, rich, what I see is idolatry, and being like, it's talking about Jesus! <laughs> um, but, but some people do feel the complete opposite. The opposite. I almost feel like we're bashing C.S. Lewis here. I love C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And I read the books a lot earlier than Joshua did and didn't skip any parts. I'm with you 100%. I love it. And, and I the neat so part, the neat part here is, they're your kids, and it sounds like you're doing great. I don't think I could deal with C.S. Lewis at their age. I can't deal with I can barely, see, barely deal with C.S. Lewis now. But whether or not his writing is an effective tool for them to learn is certainly your call in my book. Right. Yes. And I, think that and, and I don't think anybody's going to look down at you and say, you don't like C.S. Lewis? What's wrong with you? Morgan will. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I like some C.S. Lewis. So I just want to uh, jump in here and say we do have other topics to get to, unfortunately. Yeah. As amazing. Oh, oh, man. But I think the most so important lesson. Break. And the most important lesson here that I think we can all take away is that none of you walked in and goes, 
what's wrong with magic? And I think that's great. <laughs> so um, everyone obviously thought a lot about this, and I, I commend you all, especially since, since uh, there's so many parents in this room um, dealing with their kids. And as someone with very, very small children, um, we, are, we have a little bit of time to think about this more. But, uh, but it's coming, so I appreciate the thoughts. This was great. I am so proud of everyone for jumping in. This was really, really good. Before you stop, so just so you got, Joshua is an example right here. Joshua was taught that even Transformers are wrong because there's too much magic. Wow. <laughs> well, actually, so if you want your kids to turn out like Joshua, there you go. <laughs> as a when I was a kid, there was magic in Transformers. There really isn't anymore. There's just way too much violence and sex. So, different issue. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, there's all these things you missed. so far behind the So, I can take a break right now. During the like, break, Joshua and I are going to be doing... Card tricks over here in the corner. <laughs> so we're gonna take. Uh, it's a. I guess. How do you want to do? Half dollars up pretty soon too. So do you want to like take a little like longer break? Should we like? We're gonna take. Well, it depends on your definition of half dollar. Technically, we've got I think nine seventeen. Nine seventeen. Um, okay, so we're, we're gonna do. Take about a ten minute break. Well, you can't do the pen. You can take the wine. Yeah. So we're gonna take a break here. About ten minutes. Bathroom, food, whatever you need to do. And feel free to get up during the discussion, too, by the way. And then we're going to get back into the route line, talk a little bit longer um, about idols. 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 Have we ever resolved Mary Poppins? I still haven't seen Mary Poppins. I find it so. Like, either somebody is like totally okay with one thing, and then you're like shocked that they're okay with another. Like, that is shocking to me. You were, your family was not okay with that. It was okay It never says that, though. The ones that said, like, oh, well, if it's just talking about good, literally, it's only just like. That's actually good. I actually have this one. Part of it also has to do with the. I don't know how it works, but like, how it's actually very possible. So, like, my parents think that the CHS stuff is more cool. Top of Black Eddie, so Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, The Hobbit, you know, that kind of focus then. So, like, I miss the age of the American Hobbit, so to speak, because too young is not a great day. And then, whether you go to Fox News or not, I talked about my parents, I watched it personally later. But, frankly, I don't know that I have to be it by itself, because, again, having that, like, there's small snippets of that kind of emotional. The character, the wizard, the wizard, the But see, when I grew up, it was also very
references trying to find the spell, doesn't actually like it. That's like the, the closest I think that I've done. I stopped watching. I, I don't know that I might change my mind, but it doesn't matter. I haven't watched Lord of the Rings anymore. I haven't. Yeah, they're in that. They're worse. They are. Yeah, they have like a book. Like I said, the books are worse. So, like, I have kind of tried to attach myself to like, actual magic versus like the like, so pixie dust. Where does that work? Why do you always like feel so strongly about that as opposed to like a character literally being a sorcerer? Uh, well, I can't that's directly scriptural. Well, I remember there being a commandment, but that is also true. And I have definitely watched this show for one of the main characters. Right, so how do you, what do you do with that?
defense of people pushing me to it. It's like, can I defend what I do? Yeah. Or, or, or am I okay not defending it? Like, it's okay, well, it's like, well, it's not a problem, and so I don't need to do it. So nonetheless, it's like that there. Uh, how much stuff in the Bible is the same Bible? How do you think Shabbat? I mean, not just what content do you watch, but also things like, um, you know, where do you draw the line? You know, if you're an Orthodox Jew, so much of your life is defined very easily. Um, but even then, how much stuff does it say? As forever. It's because even in Orthodox Judaism, there's not a straight answer. It's each community has to find its best for And I don't think there's a question. No, I don't either. And I, I, again, one of my favorite things that, that resulted from this conversation was taking it back to the I really appreciate it. Because it's true that, like, you think about the intention of sending students into an environment to study Greek mythology, right? Like, right. There's, well, that's one thing that came to my mind. We didn't talk about here. But it's like, if you have your kids read any Greek mythology, it's loaded with idolatry, imagine, immorality, but that's a classical part of education, supposedly. You know uh, that box that you have to check on some applications is getting well, it's getting less and less in the second Online was not the
We're going to the next, the next round of discussion. So happens that we managed to take just long enough on that, but now it's actually Havdalah, um, which we're going to just do like part of the blessing here. Um, Gregory, did you say it was in the normal Sador or the... the I think it was in the Moxor. The Moxor? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Timbo. Moxor? Well, it's in there. I just, I don't know. I just cut out the fire blessing, right? Is there, a, is there yeah. an additional one I'm missing? I thought there was going to be the Yomko too. Well, hang on. It could be. Yeah. I don't know though. Yeah. Don't talk amongst yourselves. Just kind of sit quietly. <laughs> well, it's got to be. It's got to be in the complete city. Maybe. Maybe. The mock source got the ship down. Right. Mm. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. About. There was an additional one. Although we've been in the spirit of Shavuot up until now, um, I'm going to do some blessings here. So I do have some wine, um, and by the way, there is there is more wine and water and things over in the back. So um, feel free to get more to drink. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the Universe, who has chosen us from every people, exalted us above every tongue, and sanctified us with His commandments. And you gave us, Adonai, our God, with love, appointed festivals for gladness, festivals and times of joy. This day of the Shavuot festival, the time of the giving of our Torah, a holy convocation, a memorial of the exodus from Egypt. For you have chosen us and you have sanctified us above all the peoples, and your holy festivals in gladness and in joy have you granted us as a heritage. Blessed are you, Adonai, who sanctifies Israel and the seasons. Amen. Go back for a second. Uh... On Saturday nights, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. Um, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who distinguishes between sacred and secular, between light and darkness, between Israel and the nations, between the seventh day and the six days of activity. You have designated between the holiness of the Sabbath and the holiness of the festival, and sanctified the seventh day above the six days of activity. You distinguished and sanctified your nation, Israel, with your holiness. Blessed are you, Adonai, who distinguishes between holiness and holiness. Amazing. Amazing. Right? Yeah, there you go. Um, and then I love, I love to sing this one, so I'll do this here. Baruch Adonai, Elohim HaMelech HaOlam, Shehekianu, Vekiyamanu, Vehikianu, Lazman Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. Amen. Amen. Um, quick sip here. Alright. So, um, the next topic. You have to drink that with intention, right? Isn't that how? Oh, it's I, just the blessing. I did drink it with the gladness. That's <laughs> um, okay. So the next question was uh, dealing with idolatry. Um, again, thankfully, we're not going to start with why is idolatry bad. We're going to actually address the question of idolatry specifically in in art, um, and that can include things that like we're talking just recently about books and movies, but also want to touch on other broader topics. You know, museums, architecture. Is it a problem to have a picture of you know, a famous building like the Capitol building in D.C. with, you know, the Liberty Deity on top of it in your house. You know, there is a reference in the Bible about not having, do not bring the abomination into your home. 
So is that um, is a two-dimensional object that's not meant to be a deity supposed to be, or how does that work? I, so, I think it's not idolatry, it's idols. Because mm. idolatry is more like the, the practice. So that's true. Everybody's a problem with that, but idols. That's a good point. What are they? Where are they? And, and then just to, yeah, that's an excellent. Thank you for that clarification, Juliana. And and just to say, I you know, as someone who has traveled quite a bit, if you go to Europe and you're taking pictures of buildings, you probably have idols in your pictures. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It's everywhere. DC too. Any major capital has it somewhere. Um, in fact, there's a there's a funny reference we always reference. Every city has one. They had this obelisk thing, you know? I mean, every major city has it in there. It's really kind of weird. We're talking about the Washington Monument. Washington Monument. It's also in Paris. It's also in Egypt. It's also, anyway. So um, with that as kind of the intro, again, I did last time, jump in, throw in your thoughts. What do you think about idolatry, particularly when you deal with it in kind of a, more of an artistic format? So I'll Idols, just, I should say, idols. I'll just go first because I think the story circulated a bit what happened to us at a local restaurant. We had talked to our kids about idols because they have a little kids bubble where they actually have a pretty interesting scene of one of the bad kings bowing down to a little stone statue. You know, and the kids are just shocked. Like, what is that? We're like, yeah, see, he's worshiping idols. That's not okay. As we talk through idols as they are growing up, they understand idols being stone, wood, images of some kind that are, are, are portrayed as an alternate god, a different god than the one we serve. And so with this particular time, we went to a local restaurant, and the, Sophia, I think, was the one that spotted it first. She like looked over and up on the, the little mantle there, she was like, is that an idol? And we looked, sure enough, it was actually a Buddhist actually, statue. Actually, we had seen it. We were just hoping the children didn't notice it. <laughs> <laughs> we already ordered our food. Yeah, we already <laughs> ordered. Uh, yes, and, and, uh, yes, and we were just it. like, oh, yeah, yeah, actually that is, you know? And it was just, it was really sweet to see their reaction. It was just like, we need to leave now. Like, I mean, they were just shocked, horrified. So we said, well, we did just order, so we're going to not come back here anymore. Uh, but then but, we had to talk if, if a place prominently displays idols, can we trust them when they say food is kosher? There you go. Well, that's, that's also true. There was kosher. also a question yeah. as to whether I should stand up and go smash it. That's <laughs> 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 actually a question as well. Um, Abraham Jr. It was, was hard to explain question. North Carolina law and <laughs> civility, but, uh, but yeah, we, we had to work through that as well. So, didn't have a pestle on hand to grind it into the water. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, that would have impressed your kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My dad got arrested. Me and Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so anyway... Uh, oh, yes. What's that? Idolatry goes hand in hand with lying. That's true. Indeed. Yes. Because if they don't worship gods, then they lie. Right. Mm. Right, so anyway, that, that, I, I wanted to just open up by saying we, we, our perspective as a family is we, we do not have any statues of, of any kind of thing that could be representative of a deity in our house, nor do we, and we, we actively encourage the children to be aware of them and, and not be around them at all. Mm -hmm. So that, that, there's obviously an interesting question there because 
scripture does say something a lot more generic than that something like do not make the likeness of any living thing so is just like a, a decorative statue of a bird an elephant any or or an elephant the same as a buddha statue i don't know we haven't we haven't really tackled that one yet but <clears throat> yes there's a comment i was going to say that if we see a buddha in our place then we should smash it down and and we should and we should take the pig away because it has a buddha a buddha this is, an excellent, this is an excellent point. Recently, there was a catalog yes. that had a decorative Buddha, and of course, what did we do with that? We smashed it down. That's right. We ripped it up and threw it in the trash. Aren't all Buddhas decorative? No, actually. <laughs> well, there are some that are actually worshipped. Right. Sort of. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to open with that's that. a really good there, question. There we go. And just to throw an extra curveball, I see my mom here, and, and Shosha has a comment too. Um, an extra curveball in that. Um, idols are a lot broader than you realize. I mean, there's the obvious ones like the Buddha, but then uh, another classic example in Asian food is the lucky cat. There's a little cat with its little arm moving up and down, and it's a, it's like its little good luck charm. And they have them in a lot of Chinese restaurants specifically because it's supposed to bring good luck. Now, that's another component of that. I mean, when I'm reading Curious George to my son, I generally try to avoid the word luck Simply because we'll have that conversation later. Yeah. You know, not to say that we never say the word lucky or you know, read the word lucky, but we'll have that conversation another time. I don't want to get into that now. I don't want to make it normal. That so um, that's like a little, an extra little component. So idolatry kind of, and idols, but also idolatry in general, kind of does kind of go. It's a pretty broad picture, um, and I think children definitely affect how we do that and, and what we are comfortable with. Um, and that's another component to consider. So I've got Shosho and then my mom. Shosho, do you have a comment? No. Are you good? Okay. Well, to widen it out, many, many years ago, when we went on a camping trip, we went up in the Amish country. And we went and visited an Amish home. We saw their dairy. And we relocated their quilts. Well, Amish take the scripture that you can't have anything that represents a person or a all they can have is a calendar with an animal on it because it's an object that you use. And so their walls are bereft of any no kind pictures. of pictures. There's no people. Calendar. There's no anything on their walls because that's too close to an idol. Mm -hmm. To have a picture of a person or um, things like that. So it has to be something that you're using. Mm -hmm. But even when at, I was in charge of the children at our congregation, we didn't have any pictures that had Jesus on it. If there was any crayon coloring or any um, things that we made, there's no not to be any representation at all at our congregation of the form of Messiah. Hmm. It always had to be not a part of that picture. And so, and it's because of, of the Judaism idea that if somebody came in from Judaism, it would be considered an idol or a, a representation of, of God himself. Morgan, do I have another comment here from... There is another one. I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Real quick here, Henry. What do you have? Um, if we see an idol, well, I think there are some, some idols and some... And I was going to say that other people think their God is an idol, but that's not... 
Well, and I think that, you know, I think my mom's got a good point, though. I mean, I was a small child. I remember as, I mean, I was maybe, I don't know, six, seven. I remember, like, our Sunday school teacher or whatever else being like, draw a picture of what you think God looks like. And quite frankly, when I read Deuteronomy, that's not okay. Like, God made it very clear in Deuteronomy when he tells the, the, the children of Israel, like, highlight this. You heard a voice. You saw no image. There was no picture. There was no mouth moving. There was no character that was on display. God does not have a form. Now, of course, we know that God can manifest himself in different things that are expressible for our eyes or minds to comprehend, but that's not the true representation of who he is. And I think that it's dangerous, quite frankly, to, be, uh, to do that. Now, I, as far as you know, looking at a Bible story book that has a picture of Jesus in it, he was a human being. I think there's, I personally have some, some from flexibility um, um, there. But again, being careful with idolatry in general, you know, we definitely, especially, um, uh, that, that also stretches even to our, our God. You know, you mentioned earlier, not our, actually, anyway, some references made to not our God, but actually even in biblically speaking, like we don't even want to have our God portrayed with something. That was the whole golden calf, right? It was like the golden calf was supposed to be Hashem, sort of. I mean, that was kind of the idea there. So that's its own component as well. Yes, sir. So... To your point, are we talking about idolatry or idols? Idols. Because idols, by definition from the scripture, are intended to be bowed down to. So if you've got, you know, a figurine of an elephant or something like that, and you're getting it because it's a cute elephant, um, I can't find anywhere in scripture where that's a problem. Yeah, well, I was wondering how people feel about uh, I. I tend to think the same. Um, well, we don't really care what you and I think, right? I know. It's what God says. So uh, I'm just going to read to you so that you can then continue. You, I, I, I just want to quote. I just want to quote so that everybody's clear on what you are about to say. <laughs> you shall not make an idol for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord. Every other place, it's the same thing. Well, so I think... Um, something that I have heard as an argument against the cute elephant figure um, is it seems like now nowadays especially uh, somewhere in the world probably somebody worships that. Like, <laughs> like for instance, I'm really into cats. So here's a cat figure. Yeah. Well, the Egyptians worship cats. Yeah, that's great. So therefore, you shouldn't have that because that's people an idol worship to somebody. Pasta. Yeah, but that's not that's what the scripture true. says. Just to throw it in there, Greg just pointed out that people worship pasta, and that's not a joke. That's, that's actually real. Pasta variants. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, bottom line here is... Yeah. I'm serious. I'm not joking. Pasta. You can drive yourself... So all Italians are idolaters. <laughs> 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 You've got a picture of spaghetti in your home. you got to burn it right now. So, so you can go nuts figuring out, or, or trying to figure out, I wonder if I should buy this lamp, because the shape of it is similar to something that someone 600 years ago used to worship. What a bunch of hooey. <laughs> Bottom line, are you going to bow down to that lamp? If not, have a great time with the lamp. At least that's my, my perspective. While you have that up, could you read Exodus 20, uh, verse 4? That's actually the verse in question. The other one, I think, is, you're right, 
That is unmistakable. Clearly, we are not to participate in idolatry. We were thinking Exodus of reading from Leviticus 26, but we were looking at Exodus 20, verse 4. That was one that I think we were You shall not about. make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Gotcha. Okay. So again, it's it, it never mentions making something without also mentioning the attention of bowing down to them. And while I think the temple is a special circumstance, and we have to be careful using that as proof text, I think that if you look at the tabernacle that God specifically instructed on what decorations to include, we have pictures of Heroim, angels. We've got in, in not, Solomon's temple. But we're not bowing down. Right, right. No, I think you're right. And the point is to say that I think the scripture bears it out. You have, you have the Solomon's temple has the bulls that yep. support the sea. Yep. There's a lot of, 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 of physical imagery in there. God tells Moses to build a copper snake. Now, granted, Jeroboam. that gets uh, what? Jeroboam. Well, right. Well, yes. Jeroboam uses it in the wrong way. But then, and in the end, they have to destroy the copper snake because it's being turned into an idol. Right. Because people point. started to bow down to it. Right. I would be say I would be hesitant if it's okay. So like with the elephant, some people worship elephants, some people worship trees. So okay, fine. But I would just say I would probably well no, I would definitely not have a Buddha in my home, even if I wasn't planning to worship it, simply because it's an explicit expression of idolatry. I, I think it's very difficult. It's very confusing at a minimal level, both to children and to other people who come into my home to have that here. That's just my view on that. But I've got my dad in the corner and then Mike over here. I think with so many things, it's our, our, our the place that we've been placed, the boundaries that we've been placed within are actually very important. If you live in a land where they worship elephant statues, you should not have an elephant statue. Amen. Mm -hmm. uh, however, you know, it's not just things that look like animals. I just came back from Rome and went into a really marvelous church. And in this church is this granite pillar that somebody brought back from Jerusalem, supposedly, and it's the pillar that the Messiah was was tied to and, well, when they, and, when they <laughs> yeah. and and people were bowing down to it. Mm -hmm. And in the same and the chains that were around Peter, people were mm -hmm. bowing down to these things and, and they call them relics and they worship them. Mm -hmm. So it's not just things that represent animals, things above that heavens, below the heavens, below the sea, all of those, it's, it's, but you were talking about idols, idols versus idolatry. We can make anything idolatrous. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Especially and, so I think you have to be careful when you start drawing mm -hmm. it way too broad where everything becomes an idol. It, everything is not an idol. Right. You know, in, in the terms of what we're talking right. about. Right. Uh, we can be idolatrous about how we treat things. That's true. But that's not what we're talking about. Agreed. And that's a good point, and I good to kind of rope it back in a little bit, focusing specifically on idols in art and so forth. Micah, do you have a comment? Well, you're not, you're not going to have a Buddha in your house. I would definitely get that, but... You would get a Buddha? <laughs> in the garden. Kind of like, what's up, dog? This is another one of those modern expressions we use. You but walked right into that one. Though. People have... Say, you do get a tiny cute elephant, and the guy just comes into your house for some reason, he does worship it. Well, what, if he recognizes it as an idol, then why? There's a chance that somebody won't recognize it as an idol, then why would you have it? I just don't get where you would draw the line from a Buddha to 
Well, I think for me, a lot of it has to... First off, I would be uncomfortable with having Buddha, quite frankly, because it is such an explicit form of idolatry. I mean, it's so well, it's obvious. A, it's a recognized idol. It's a recognized idol. I think that. that the possibility <laughs> that my, you know, um, unexpectedly pantheistic friend believes that the flowers on our table happen to be an idol, that, you know, I don't have any control over that, and I'm just going to have to just... Maybe we'll have a conversation about that since they're in my home. But um, they start bowing down to it. It's like, wait a minute. Um, but so I think your point, I think for me, it mostly has to do with how obvious it is. And culturally, I think my dad's a great point. If I lived in a culture where they worshipped elephants, that probably is not a healthy thing to have in my home. Even if I'm okay with it, this, the, 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 the impression it gives. And again, children. It has the appearance of evil. I think my level of comfortability that. changes so dramatically when we're talking about kids. Because uh, we used the example of the copper serpent earlier. The copper serpent was caught, created by God on purpose. Moses built it at God's instruction. The people of Israel used it incorrectly as an idol, and Hezekiah had to destroy it. And I think that the point of that is to say that not only can anything be turned into an idol, but also the importance of having the person who's exposed to it treat it the right way. So when I've got children in the home, particularly, I think we should be extra careful about things that are explicitly idols because they shouldn't be exposed to something that might cause them to be confused or to ask questions that are inappropriate or to do things that are inappropriate. I mean, I still remember as a kid thinking about, you know, growing up, you're like I'm six years old. I'm like reading all this stuff and we will bow to God and so forth. So one day I decided to just try that out in, the, in my dad's office, just sort of bowing down. And my dad's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> So like, you know, it was just I was just bowing in front of my desk, but the point is to say that like you have to like I think that's healthy. I think as a parent, you have to be so conscientious of where your kids can get confused. And I think that that's good. So I think to your question, Micah, I think I would feel like that's different between the thing that the random stranger might worship versus the thing that people recognize as actually an idol. Well, I think then I, what I would really like to hear people's thoughts on is um, more about the story that Greg Morgan told. You right. see, well, it is a recognized idol, a Buddha statue, in a restaurant. Do you leave immediately, or do you say, that's there is not mine, I'm not worshipping it, it doesn't matter, this isn't my home. So I was still here. We were aware that the staff were not actually worshipping it. Right. Wait, not at the time. Not when we were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lucky Cat's a good example, yes. where I think that's probably yes. very, very commonly used. Sure, sure, that's a better example. But yeah, yeah we didn't leave. But oh, you we may not go back. We went to a sushi restaurant at the beach, and we're all eating, and we're not seeing anything on the walls but fish. Mm. Except Richard looks up and starts pointing, and we're all wondering, and we should see this little picture, kind of a stylized head H of Hindu deity. And so we're like, oh, don't look at that. Well, you tell Richard not to look at that. What's Richard going to do? He's going to be looking at it. But we were already in the middle of the meal, and it was way high up. It wasn't something that any of us saw, but it was. It did kind of spur the same. But would you go back to the same place? Maybe not with Richard. Or point not with Richard. <laughs> you know, it gets tricky when you go yeah. into restaurants, Chinese, mm -hmm. you know, any Oriental. At the cash register, there's often something. You know, they, it does mm -hmm. get difficult. It, I mean, Carissa, yeah. were you going to a Thai restaurant? Yes, we did, and they had a shadow box on the wall of like four or five Hindu deities. They had their lucky cat. I mean, the whole they had a whole wall dedicated to it, 
and the people behind who were cooking didn't speak English, and so I'm like, I, I don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I can't eat here. Well, I think that, just from my perspective, I would see a difference between like the food being prepared per se and necessarily the um, idolatrous art on the wall. Mm -hmm. And the reason is only because I, from what I understand, and I'm not an expert on Asian religions, I don't get the impression that they offer food to idols from what I know a little bit of that. Do. Oh, they do? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a consideration. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about, um, when you talk about uh, Islamic stuff, that is a different thing. So if I see that it's got a halal symbol on it, I'm not okay with that. Because that does, to me, cross the line of offering food to idols, and, and you know, both in the, in the Torah and also Apostle Paul makes it very clear that's not okay. Um, now, Paul also talks about if you don't know that there's some flexibility there, especially when you're in someone else's home, but even, I think, kind of in general, uh, because, you know, there is a... Um, there is a difference between I think it's about the difference between idols and idolatry, right? So if, like if it's not if you're not aware of it, that's a little bit different from when you once you do know, then it's like well that's that's a serious problem. So thank you for enlightening me. That does have to change my attention, my view on Hindu restaurants. But he actually um, had a friend who was raised Hindu, and he, mm -hmm. he was turned off of the Hindu religion because he saw his dad take the offering out to the Hindu god, but then go back later and eat it. And so <laughs> oh like, dear, hmm, something's not right here. So, yeah, so that I think that's another component to consider. Is it within that bucket? So the lucky yeah. cat, in my mind, is a, is not benign. I have a problem with that, but it doesn't mean I won't go to the or you know or takeout from that restaurant. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know the halal symbol, I have a problem there, and I wouldn't eat there. So that thing, you know, so that's a different. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay. So to where's Mike? Hey, bud. Hi. So um, to your point about you know, having something in your home that just became an idol to a visitor, right? Um, I think we see twice in the scriptures, um, once with uh, Paul and I think it was Silas, and then later on with uh, Guy in Revelation. John? They bow down to people, mm. and the people stop them and say, "Wait a second! I'm just a guy. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't do that to anybody but God, right. and I'm not Him." So there's a correction that's given, and they move on. Mm -hmm. So if you were to come over to my house, see this you know, one of these cute little elephant guys, and go, "Oh wow, man!" It's an elephant god or something like that. I would stop you. I would correct you. You know, and if you're uncontrollably bowing down to my little tiny black elephant thing, I'm just gonna ask you to leave. Yeah, that's good. I think other question you wanted to address. This is great, by the way. I'm loving this conversation. I'm learning new things. Um, uh, also about art. I mean, I think that's something that's a big factor in my life. It, like, it, you know, like I said, I love traveling. And I've got pictures of whole different different things. And it's like, but there is so much representation of Greek deities in classic architecture and in classical art. Um, that's not necessarily an idol. It's not intended to be worshipped, per se, at least not by most people, um, at least not modern people. But it's like, but it's there. And it's representation of liberty or freedom or justice or whatever it happens to be. I uh, would love to get some thoughts on that, but uh, Mr. Kerner, feel free to go back to the other well, before you, yeah, Before we left restaurants, I just wanted to say Asian restaurant 
kind of important because on Christmas it's hard to find a place. <laughs> That's, That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. You got to screen your Asian restaurant. Exactly right. We have to make some sort of allowance. <laughs> Look for the one flying an American flag. But the, doesn't that raise the question? I mean, isn't that really what what this question is all about? If you go into a restaurant and they have an idol there, does that mean that you can't eat there? That's what I'm asking. I mean, that's not what the scripture says, right? I'm around people virtually 99% of the time that do not believe as I believe. They do not know the one true God. They are going to hell, and they're in a hurry to do it. On a highway, in a handbasket. It's, there it's it. a call for each family to make, I think. And so I'm, us, I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying, from a scriptural perspective, what we know about idols, right. not idolatry, that's different, right? Because right. that's what we're talking about. The idols, right. I've got to be the one bowing down to it for it to be a problem for me. The scripture well, well, to go to, the, to, go to would, a restaurant that's right. got a picture of Buddha on the we, wall, hey, so I would argue these guys though, are Buddhists, but they make great food. Right. <laughs> I would argue that you actively don't buy from places where you disagree with what they do from a political standpoint. How is this any different? So somebody literally worships Buddha in the morning when he's doing his yoga and then has Buddha, <laughs> and has a Buddha in his restaurant. Right? And so then and you're saying it's okay to actively support that restaurant. But if they were the Bernie Sanders supporter, then that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> if they were actively attacking our like Second if, Amendment rights. If he puts up a no no gun sign, I'm not going to buy from you. You're right. right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not seeing a, a spiritual problem here. Tell me tell me what the problem is. It's you want me to change the world by not buying from Buddhists? Is that the deal? Well, you, you want me, use that you want your, me to no ouch. longer have interaction with the Buddhist because he's a Buddhist? Why would you not support the Jewish man next door? Sounds awful. Come on. Come on. Give me a break. <laughs> right. I'm trying to interact with the Buddhist and develop that relationship and get that opening to talk about the Second Amendment and the living God. <laughs> and we see examples of that in the master sitting with Taxpayer and Absolutely. The, uh, the tax collector. Sinner. We're all taxpayers. Let's get it. Well, didn't Paul say that there is no such thing as a, an there's not a real, exactly. There's really so not you can no eat the thing. meat, but only if it, don't eat it if it's going to cause your brother to... Well, and actually, the so first Corinthians 8 and 10 are the two sides of the same point. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating with Paul, is that Paul... First off, if you ever read two verses of Paul and quoted them that way, you did it wrong because Paul is so hard to read. But basically, Paul's argument from 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is twofold. One, you're right. It's not real. Therefore, it doesn't have real power. Therefore, it's not, quote unquote, inherently bad. However, 1 Corinthians 10 dials that back a little bit because it says that are spiritual forces behind these things that are very much evil and i don't want to participate in that so as soon as i am aware of the idolatry involved i'm done i want out and i don't have, want to be a part of that and again we have that appearance of evil mm -hmm. because and now you're just joining with them and going well it's okay well that was that was the but that was the double side so it's right. not just it's not just to look bad to others paul also says do we want to become uh co-minglers with demons absolutely not so it's like, it's not just that it looks bad to someone else. It's also a problem for my conscience and how my spiritual 
wholeness and healthiness is. So that's why like, I do draw the line on halal meat. I don't eat halal meat, whether I have someone around me or not. You know because I know that was offered to an idol. Because it's part of their tradition. That's right. Um, the Hindu thing's very helpful. I didn't realize that. But the, but like, but the Buddha thing, or the lucky cat, like that's not part of that tradition. It's a totally different tradition. I have a problem with the idolatry, absolutely. Whether or not I bring my child to the restaurant, or at the very least if we have conversations about it afterwards, um, it's a different issue for me versus like calling them up and having you know Uber Eats drop the food off of the house. I don't have a problem eating from that restaurant Ooh, by itself. That, yeah. And that was that was also the choice that we made after the experience we had was that I, we don't really have problems with food, but I don't think we would sit there. And not, not that it's a sin, but I don't think we would sit there again, surrounded by idols, eating with our children. It didn't make for a relaxed family evening. Mm -hmm. I think so, that's a great. I think that's great. And there's there's a good there's a good point there. So next time we maybe get to take out and eat at home. You know. Yeah, there are ways around it. Like my, Juliana mentioned at the restaurant that we were at, the sushi restaurant. You know. Um, you know, if if there had been a better, if it had been a maybe different location of the picture, perhaps there would be the option of you know maybe you move Richard in between us, you know, <laughs> so he can't see it or whatever. You know, there's ways to get around those types of things to some degree. I think that children definitely make it much more complicated. You and Greg are going on a date night. Maybe you don't stress so much about it. Maybe you do, but maybe I wouldn't. But anyway, but that, that's a different. So there are elements there. I think that children are a big part of that. Yes, sir. So to throw a ring, uh, a wrench into the ring. Um, a ring into the ranch. So, so Paul, if you've ever been to Mars Hill, you know that Mars Hill is not a hill that just sits out there in Athens, but that it actually is located at the center of massive temples and idols. True. So Paul wasn't, and, and Paul didn't it's like, and you have to decide to go there. You can't like I was wandering around, and all of a sudden I'm there. He had to leave <laughs> Athens and walk up a huge hill. So, I mean, it wasn't like it was... And it wasn't like it was Athens. named, you know, Athens Hill. It was literally named for the god of war. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, not, I mean, not to make excuses, it's just, to me, there's a little bit, there's a little bit, when, when it's a part of the life around you, there's, there's got to be some uh, measure of... of how are you going to live? Well, Paul didn't have to go there. But in my right. point is that people lived in Athens. They were there all the time, right? So, right. And, and, the, right. and the marketplace was full of idolatry because right. that's where people went to worship. Right. So it wasn't just in the temples. They actually had idols set up in the marketplace as well. So it's like you, you couldn't get away from it in that, in that age. And the reality is we can't get away from it now as in the terms of idolatry, but not necessarily in terms of idols. Okay. Right. Yeah. Josh, you, come is that your only comment? Do you have anything else you want to say? I know you raised your hand earlier. Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so the next thing I want to talk about, I do want to get also on the artistic side of it because I think that that is a big part of the question that I have, um, especially when it comes to um, architecture and those type of things. So let's say you're taking your kids to Washington, D.C. Do you have the same conversations? Are there certain monuments you don't visit? Because, I mean, the Washington Monument is literally not, not in our culture, but in the culture it came from is itself an idolatrous object. Well, as a southerner, I won't go to the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> it's idolatrous. I'm sorry. It's idolatrous. And there's a bunch of places that my father-in-law won't visit because they have that little no gun sign on the front. <laughs> <laughs> the whole city's that way. You can't even carry in that city. So he's not going to D.C., but the rest of us. Thoughts? Anything? Or did I just drop that in there when no one's thought about it yet? We'll get back together next year for Shadow <laughs> Well, I guess... It, Part of the question too is like, 
is it's similar to the halal meat. Is the when you when you say art, you know, is it is it done in the style of like the intention as to bring glory to a particular idol? Because like it would I I don't know if this works or not, but it's like it, I feel like there's a difference between like a a Hindu who is specifically painting a picture of an idol in order to bring glory and honor to that idol, as opposed to a fabulous sculptor who was given a a uh, commission to create some really interesting art that just happens to be famous and didn't necessarily have any ties to any meaning or whatnot. I don't know if that's gonna be too hard to know before you experience the art or not, but I hear I think I hear I think in modern culture that's actually a much easier line to draw, and the reason is because I think that um, in if you're talking about classic architecture, which is what I'm mostly concerned about, I think is more common. Um, I haven't gone to Asia, so I don't see as much of the stuff there. But um, classic architecture, I would say 99% of all idolatry is not in, our idols is not mentioned, not in idolatrous. Because, I mean, the, you know, one of our founding principles in modern American culture is separation of church and state, which I happen to disagree with, but nonetheless is a big part of the modern thing. The modern thing. They've extrapolated as to what that means. You can't have Ten Commandments in the, in, the, in the courtroom and so forth. My point being that the uh, separation of state is, okay, fine, it's from 1776, but they've adjusted, well, The separation of church and state was in a letter from Thomas Jefferson. I'm, I'm just curious how we got in that. My point is to say that that's such a huge part of our culture. The intent is obviously not that Lady Liberty sitting on top of the Capitol building is meant to be worshipped. It's obviously an artistic perspective. I I see it from a different perspective. I see Lady Liberty and I see I see it from like an underlying I think if that's put there for a spiritual reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not gonna go show up with my kid and be like, oh, check it out, it's beautiful. I, mm. if we see it, I'm gonna be like, that's an idol. Yeah. We don't worship it. Right. If we go and we're at the National Monument, I'm gonna say that obelisk, that's pagan. Right. We don't support that. We see that and we know that it's wrong. Um, and I, I think in classic architecture as well, I I think that yes, like things get integrated into into art, um, and it may be passive, but I think more so we have to look at the this I don't know, I, I keep going back to like spiritual implications of why is this here? Hmm. Why was it put there? Even if it wasn't like someone's purposeful intent, like if it didn't seem purposeful, right? We can't really point back and say, someone's worshiping that. But it's set up. And it's been used for worship in the past. Like Oblis, right? They, they continue to set up. And so, like, when we're driving into Rock Hill, and I see that they have, like, the city is marked with that, I'm like, every mm-hmm. city has one. This rubs me the wrong way, and we should point it out. So, um, I'm, I'm trying to understand where you're is coming it? from, Joshua, and I appreciate, appreciate what you're saying. So, my, my grandfather broke down in tears when the ship he was taking from Italy to New York, to Ellis Island, when they saw the Statue of Liberty. Because it represented what it actually says on it. You're tired, you're poor, your house is masses, and all, you know, and, you know, and be free. Is the Statue of Liberty 
actually the idolatrous character? I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I just heard Lady Liberty is, is a... I was thinking the Greek, the Greek, the Greek Lady Liberty. I'm sorry. The, so the we, Greek, are we talking about the Statue yeah. of Liberty? I, I believe that no. they're the same thing. Okay. From, from the study that I've done, it stems back to the same kind of okay. Greek composition. Okay. But he's seeing the symbol of America and freedom. He's not seeing exactly. the symbol of the goddess or whatever. Exactly. So, uh, and to what you were saying, just so that I'm, I'm clear, um, the scripture specifically states that we should not make a carved image of a person and so forth on above, below, you know. All right. So in the in the in the congressional chamber, the there are. Uh, what do you call those? Motifs? Uh, reliefs. Reliefs of great lawgivers over time. The only one who's actually face on and not portrait, uh, is sideways, what do you call it? Profile. Profile, is Moses. And, you know, so there's this, this relief of Moses on the wall. So I, I, don't, I don't know where we're going right now, but I have a real problem if we're saying that's an idol. I have a problem with that. Did, did I miss something? Did we... I don't always say that's an idol. I think the question we're talking about is things that are actually used as idols. I think it's your point. Is We're talking about Greek gods and so forth. Because like, if you go to Paris or you go to the Washington, D.C., you've got the, the, the deity of justice and the deity of liberty and the deity of, of war and so forth. And they're actually called that. It's not like this is a picture and someone said, that kind of looks like something from Athens. But the sculpture intended it to be a representation of this character. And if you open your little pamphlet, it'll say, this is meant to be, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's, I think, what the, the question is focused more on. I think the Moses point, though, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that I think, well, I don't know, but it's possibly a mitigating factor in that, in light of the separation of church and state reference earlier, it's like, Moses Which is there. Which doesn't exist. Well, yes, but if Moses is there. Which you keep bringing up, but yes. it doesn't exist. Yes, yes but Moses is there. Because but, there is no separation of church and state, it's not possible. Right? Well, yeah. but, but, but there is morality from God. Right, but the point being that there's so much in effort there. Oh, real quick, then, I want to give Micah a chance to say what he was going to say. Uh, oh, Josiah's in race, too. And then we need, to, we need to wrap up, unfortunately. This is so good. <laughs> I just want to say if you're going to say, buy a tiny elephant and put it in your house, not recognize <laughs> the elephant now, then why are you going to recognize Washington Monument as an idol? Or, or what's bothering me right now is that we're actually going to teach our kids that the Statue of Liberty is bad. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand that at all. Because or the or that that the the image of Moses killed the wall is is a problem. <laughs> Moses didn't originate in a, in a, in a replacement for God. Lady Liberty origin was as a replacement god or an right. alternate alternate right. god. So I, I think there are examples of So, so are we saying that when when the the sculptor in France that gave us the Statue of Liberty, it was intended to be given to us as an idol? Is that what we're actually saying? No. no. It was patterned after an idol. Who cares? <laughs> Well, well, I actually look like an idol that was used back in you know in the 1500s. <laughs> <laughs> now what? But, 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 but what if? What if on the opposite side of that? What if? What if? What if we instead of having just to just to rearrange it a little bit? What if instead of having Lady Liberty, we had you know Lady 
Baba Batra, whatever her name is from the Hindu religion. She's got eight arms and whatever else. And this is the image we have for welcoming people with that you know bring my bring my bring your tire Actually, he was wrong. It's, it's not a lady, it's a man, and it's Vishnu. Uh, my point is that whether you want to say all the names or not. The point is like is to get back to the, the this topic is like it's easy for us, I think. I think the question comes with plastic is so interesting because no one really worships that today aside from some very weird outsiders. Most people do not. But it used to be. When Paul's day, every time you saw a Greek deity, it was not artistic. It was very much intended to represent mm -hmm. something people were bowing down to in public and in private. Mm -hmm. Now today, it's not that way. So would it change our approach to it if instead of being Lady Liberty, it was Lady Allah? You know, would that look, would that make us feel differently about it if we knew that people around the world were worshipping this deity? Do I don't we, know. Don't we already see from the example you mentioned from Paul that he didn't have a problem being there, but he was fully conscious of these Right, battles. and he wasn't he, going to bow down. He didn't bow, and if he had he children, bow. which we know he didn't, he certainly would have taught them the same. But he, it wasn't, I can't go to Greece because they have a lot of idols. I am going to Greece. I'm going to be a witness. Right. And they're pretty aware of it. Not too, but, but it was also not, not just bowing down, but they had to burn incense to the emperor and to the idol before they could go into the marketplace, before they could right. sell their wares in the marketplace. So it wasn't even the whole bowing down thing. It was, I'm going to take this moment and dedicate my goods, my time, my labor to this God just by you know, the pinch of incense mm. on fire that was burning to that, that God. So for, for us, uh, we always taught our kids, anything that takes your time, your talent, and your treasure is your idol. <coughs> so it can be a statue, it can be a game, it can be your job, it can be a lot of different things. It's what, what's taking your attention away from... So now we're going to idolatry. But yes. That's, that's, I agree with you yes. 100%. Um, real quick, I want to catch Josiah's comment, and then we probably need to wrap up and move on to the next thing. Yes, sir. So back to the motion problem of the picture being in the court, Alleged problem. <laughs> Time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Josiah. I don't. Th I think that it's not really meant to be a representation of somebody to worship or see as um, to see as a figure to try to appease or something of that sort. But I think that it is meant to be more of an inspiration to be like that person, to aspire to have that truth and that God-fearing and just to be all the goodness of that person, not as to try to appease them, but be like them. Yeah, I think I mean, how about Moses is an excellent example. And even, even and while we might disagree with the choice, that's probably the intent behind the Statue of Liberty and so forth, again, the, what's behind it. But that being said, Joshua, I thought your comments were great. And I really appreciate this. Again, this was so good. I loved all the different perspectives. I've learned a lot. I had no idea about Hindus, you know, offering their meat to little <laughs> statues. Um, so we're going to take another break, about another 10, 15 minutes or so, um, and then get back together again. It is after 10 o'clock, though, so for those of you who want to leave, that's totally fine. I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to miss you. 